both meditation and virtual reality can take you places you either can't humanly go or can't conveniently go. One of the comments we got from our beach VR meditation was a perfect time at the beach, but with nobody kicking sand on you and not the rain and not, you know, so we can wash out some of those issues and some of those problems. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of SpartyCast in which I speak with Dr. Carrie Heater, one of my longest faculty mentors from when I started as a professor at Michigan State University as an assistant professor. And she is a progenitor of many important ideas in our field relating to media technology and has gotten into some very cool research on meditation in virtual reality or uh, facilitated or supported by media technology. So in this episode, she'll tell us about her latest endeavors in that regard. And I hope you listen through to the end where she talks a little bit about her website and um, her newsletter and the guided meditation groups that she holds. If you're interested in this topic personally, you can connect with her uh, through those channels. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to SpartyCast. Pleasure to be here. I'm usually on the viewing side. <laughs> All right. Um, that's so wonderful to hear. So what have you liked about SpartyCast? Let's start there. Well, from what you remember. Yeah. Well, first of all, that you're doing it. And oh my gosh, what is it? 39 times now or something like that or something? 36. We're getting there. 36. It is so awesome that you've established it. You're a natural, as you know, and um, the variety of people and topics. No, so I'm just, I'm just so proud of you. It's awesome. Thank you, Carrie. You are one of the few people who has been aware of kind of my trajectory as a scholar. Most people don't care, pay attention. Um, you, you, were, you were my faculty mentor, um, so you were assigned to care, but you very naturally uh, intrinsically cared as well. And I, I appreciate your mentorship through all these. You know, um, I still care, even though it's no longer official. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Well, you will always be a mentor to me and your career has been so interesting to me as well. So that's one of the reasons I was excited to have you on. I've had you on my list of guests since the very beginning and finding the right moment, I guess, came now because we're, we're kind of starting off in this, this metaverse idea that, that is actually graspable for many people. And it's more than just the web, it's going to have other wild stuff like meditation. Do you want to talk about the history or the future first? Is the metaverse really anything different than what we already have? And is con that, that, that is not a static thing that is changing all the time. Isn't it just a new name? It's pretty much a new name, but it's not even a new name. Right, uh, right. It's a, it's a, it's a newish idea. I think actually the biggest change or uh, differentiating factor is this blockchain element to it which facilitates the interoperability of these virtual worlds. So I can take my stuff from one website to another in a way that I couldn't before. But certainly, yeah, you've been studying virtual experiences since the 90s. Well, I, I think 89 is the 90s, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, definitely a 90s movie, though. I think it came out in 89. 
Right. Like I say, I grew up in the 60s, although I think it was kind of the 70s, but my heart is in the 60s. So <laughs> there we go. I think I grew up in the 60s, too, in some ways, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's part of part of what we share. <laughs> so, um, so, so it's not that new, which means that you've got this great kind of historically grounded understanding of how people use virtual worlds. What are some key takeaways that you've had? I have constantly believed that it was going to be everywhere and huge and have always had that not actually happen. However, the difference was that that's happened throughout my whole life is, oh, this is going to be the next big thing. This is going to be real. And I got so used to that getting to move on to the next, next big thing because that stuff didn't actually happen. But games came as this huge surprise to me because like, oh, these are cool. They're going to go away soon. It's like, whoa, no, they're still here. There are majors in it now. And this is now we have a department of games. It's like, wait, I want the next big thing and stuff like that. But really games were the embodiment of the original VR, I think in some ways, but it, it got used in a, in a pretty narrow way. Interesting, um, maybe because the technological infrastructure, the hardware, you know, the needs for internet, et cetera, weren't up to speed at the time for fully immersive, you know, headset-based VR, but in games you could, you could get together and do these metaverse things just without the extent of immersion. Well, I think that it's more that it was so successfully monetized that people kept doing the same thing. It's like, oh, collect these things, jump here. It's like, there's so much more that we can be doing rather than just what's this narrow window of a game with these worlds to explore or to be in or to affect our lives and our moods and that kind of thing. So you're not actually in the Sparty lab, right? I'm not, I'm not. And I am actually sitting in front of a shower curtain onto which is printed Monet's Lily Garden. So you're not so in which, a of, lily which of us is more real right now? <laughs> well, I think we're both enjoying art as our background. Yes. We yes. could own these as NFTs. We could. Or do we want to share? You've looked at avatars, right? And representation of self to others and social presence kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I look inside kind of the inverse of it so it's like what's the human system doing in the metaverse mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right and it's the same thing the human system is doing in the physical world and how do we do that differently and better this is kind of just bouncing but why don't we do this for a minute so i i did a meditation for um virtual reality beach environment yeah. uh, a number of years ago and I, I wanted to walk you through how a meditation designer looks at a virtual beach and thinks about what we can do with it. Sounds great. I was so, so excited to talk about virtual reality and meditation with you today. So yeah, this is a great segue. Go ahead. Right. Well, we can we can bounce back and that kind of thing. But here we are. And this, this is a Cubicle Ninja's virtual beach environment. And this is the meditation that my colleague and mentor Marcel and I made for Marcel Alberton made for them. So we start out and this is the, imagine that this is actually a, a moving, moving, of course, and you can look at any direction. This is, this is the goggle view. So the beginning of the meditation, we're cueing people to notice the things in the environment, right? Notice, notice the sand, notice the sunlight coming through, different things like that. So step one, you connect with the environment, looking. And then while you're in the environment, we're having you also be moving your body so that you're connecting the feel with the feeling of your arms moving in different, different ways and things like that. And you're still looking in the environment. So we're still cueing to notice, but we're also bringing you into somatosensory awareness of yourself. Then we bring them together. So first you're aware of your body and then, we, then we're cueing you to both be moving and breathing in the environment. This is my favorite part. Then we have you close your eyes 
right? We've gone to all this effort to create a virtual world and put on the goggles and that kind of thing, and you close your eyes. Because when you close your eyes, our visual cortex is, dominates the brain when, it's open, when, when the eyes are open, right? It's directing us or we're out there, and it's usually helpful if you're driving or running or walking or looking. But when you close your eyes, you go inside, and your internal sensations and presence are much more accessible. So in the virtual environment, we actually close your eyes for a while, getting you much more connected to self, and then we bring you back. And here again, you feel yourself and you feel the environment, but it's a much deeper experience. And then you just, you just feel the environment. So that's kind of when we look at what do we do with a, a virtual environment. What one thing, it's not the only thing you can do, right? But, but so we had to spend a lot of time in that virtual world to figure out what made sense. What, what was the meaning of it? What was the feeling spaces? What, would, what the cues were, that kind of thing. But the closing your eyes is key in that case. Because you're, you're getting to sense yourself more. I mean, that's right. the goal of meditation, right? Is to be self-aware of your physiological. Actually. The goal of meditation, one of the many goals of meditation, is to help you connect with yourself and be present to and with yourself during the meditation and in real life. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a cumulative effect over time. And by over time, I mean they do studies of people who have been meditating every day for 35 years. And the effect is greater than those who have been doing it for 25 years. It's a growing thing. I've, I've been meditating twice a day for 10 years. Mm-hmm. every day. And Meditation the, is not necessarily what you think. And, and what are the, um, so what are the measures that, what is accumulating over those years? In neuroscience terms, metacognition, mind-body integration, presence, mm-hmm. things like that, awareness of patterns, self-regulation, attention regulation. Mm-hmm. In order to do, to, to work toward those changes successfully, you, you usually require some guidance and that's where virtual reality might come in. Even though maybe ironically, you're closing your eyes at some points, the virtual environment can be designed in ways that guide you to that moment of closing your eyes so that when your eyes are closed, it's as effective as possible. Both meditation and virtual reality can take you places you either can't humanly go or can't conveniently go. One of the comments we got from our beach VR meditation was a perfect time at the beach, but with nobody kicking sand on you and not the rain and not, you know, so we can wash out some of those issues and some of those problems. Meditation involves imagination. And maybe you can help me figure out how we design virtual reality so that it doesn't have some of the limitations that worry me now. I taught a very beautiful thing meditation last week. Yoga-based meditation uses movement and breathing to help calm the system, bring, bring the mind and body into a, a balanced state. So we did a little of that, and then we, we called to mind a very beautiful thing. And every single person in the meditation had a completely different, very beautiful thing show up. For one person, it was the light that they had just seen in the room in the shadows that just seemed so beautiful. And for another person, it was this mountaintop that they had been on. But everybody has their own thing. Sure. And when you're in a designed world, it can be incredibly gorgeous, but it's only that one world that everybody has. So how do you bring your own stuff into that? Well, I think a few few ways. Eventually, there will be such a diversity of content created for these spaces that, you know, you could, hey, hey, Siri, pull up that uh, mountain peak. Oh, my series turning on. Uh, 
<laughs> put me in put me in that virtual base yeah i'm not unlocking my iphone now. <laughs> so, so let's say I, I go around and take a lot of pictures while we're on vacation but they're also 3d pictures and then i can i can recall that that moment and it will automatically kind of uh, i can easily ask through my voice to be back in that space so that's one way I can imagine. Another way I can imagine is through something I haven't experienced before, but other people imagine as well. Like I want to see Aurora Borealis. I haven't seen it. I've seen pictures, but I want to be there. I want to do a meditation there. Well, someone made that virtual world and maybe a hundred people made that virtual world. And, and I choose the one that's, uh, <laughs> Gary, you're great. For those of you just listening, <laughs> Carrie now has Aurora Borealis going right behind her in the Zoom meeting. <laughs> um so so yeah there you go right like somebody someone thought this would be a useful gif uh do we say gif or gif i don't know in in virtual environments people will make stuff like that and be able to share them and i guess uh, fundamentally and this is where this is where i think i know you've moved away from virtual reality with your meditation work but you're still using technologies like discord to facilitate the community around the meditation though i, I don't know if that's the most recent approach. But I think that social element, that ability to share is essential to getting in, being guided into these experiences, but also being able to share resources like these virtual objects. So yeah, what's your take on that? So I've moved away from virtual reality primarily for pragmatic reasons, because I am here in my home office in San Francisco and the lab is in East Lansing. And, and it's not that I won't come back to it in some ways, but it would be fun to find ways to make it more flexible and more creative. My first meditation of the morning, part of my daily practice today, part of my personal practice, I mean, is that I was on a spaceship, which is a shape-shifting spaceship. And I am also a shape-shifter. And I've been doing this spaceship meditation now for 16 days. This was given to me by my mentor. And he was trying to find a way for me to to be contained because I just love being the universe. And so at first I was like, so excited. It's like, oh, you know, Star Trek and Star Wars. And, and, but then all the stuff that I worked on with NASA was starting to get in the way. And I'm thinking it takes a year to get somewhere light years. I'm stuck in this tin can just traveling forever and, and I can't feel anything anyway. So, so what I've been doing on the spaceship has changed over these 16 days, but I'm taking this 20 month class in the Hatha Yoga Pradipika ancient texts. And we're in really the very beginning. And they talk about the ideal way to be practicing and studying yoga if you're going to be a full-time yogi in, in ancient times is you're in a six by six by six foot stone hut, liberally covered with cow dung for protection from snakes and insects and things like that uh, with liberal alms outside. So you have no external worries and you're just there to be able to focus on the internal stuff. So my shape-shifting spaceship, I've decided, I, I've put myself into this six by six by six foot stone hut, but I know I'm on a spaceship and I can go anywhere and do anything. So I, I can escape, right? But for the last 10 days, I've been in that space, porting myself in and experiencing what it's like to be in that space and to be meditating and connecting with self and seeing what's there and feeling. To be okay, a spaceship. So, so, yeah, right, 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 right. But see... For me, this is playful and it's experiential and it's exploratory. Hello, listener. It's me, but I'm an avatar. You probably learn about avatars in this podcast, 
but you can actually try them out, not just in video games, but in spaces like Zoom. I'm using Zoom to record this right now. This avatar I created with Ready Player Me. Remember in episode a long time ago, I talked to Timo Toke, the CEO of Wolf 3D. That's the company that makes Ready Player Me. I took a screenshot of myself with my camera, a selfie, I should say, and I created an avatar automatically, customized it in their app, then I posted it in Animes. That's the software I'm using right now. They are the sponsor of this message and they are giving a 50% discount on subscriptions. You can try it for free, but if you want to subscribe, you enter Sparty Lab as the discount code. That's S-P-A-R-T-I-E Lab. So you can use a Ready Player Me avatar, like I mentioned. You can also upload your own VRM or live 2D models, or you can make avatars right in animes. For example, you could use the Doge avatar. <laughs> um, and I don't know, I mean, it might've seemed like like a, a strange thing at first, but but Dogecoin is, is still making bucks. Um, but you could use the Doge avatar or one of their very cool anthropomorphic animals, such as the Fluffo, the raccoon, totally detailed. Look at this. It's so responsive. People use these types of avatars to stream or go to Zoom meetings or go to, go to court cases and say, I am not a cat. There are also two-dimensional avatars like this raccoon or more anthropomorphic avatars that aren't even animals like this cute pandemic virus right here. Corey, Corey, the COVID. Maybe this one won't win you too many friends. I really like Kathy. She's quite a catch. You could choose whichever avatar you like. And then you could even apply some of the concepts like the Proteus effect or other phenomena related to avatars in the workplace to your uses of these avatars uh, based on what you've learned in this podcast. And once again, if you wanna try it out, Go to Steam, download Animes, try it for free, and then if you want a subscription, you can get 50% off for a limited time by entering Sparty Lab in the discount code. Check it out. How do we bring some of the magic of meditation into VR? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, when you said that your teacher gave you this meditation, gave you this experience in space, it was hard for me not to think of it being software, <laughs> right? Like the way you described it. And then the way that you went on um, in terms of the narrative of what you're doing. And, and I imagine the way that many people experience these longer, longer term guided meditations, there is a narrative. It does sound like game design to me in a way. But, but it comes from me. It's the emergent it. play, yeah. right? So he didn't expect any of this. And, and he was fairly surprised, shall we say, that I was I had this spaceship and here I am in a six by six by six stone hut, yeah. right? Because that's not necessarily what you would expect. But, but I, was, I was going with the idea of containment, but also in meditation, there's this idea that you're not driving. Yeah. That you become more of an observer. You're watching what happens and you're allowing things to emerge. Somewhat ironic. You're informed by what's happening in your daily life and your needs and your human system. And so it's a wholeness. So if it's pre-canned, it can't do that so well. So, so that's ironic, right? Because 
when you're sitting there watching Netflix, you're certainly not driving, but you're not, you're not meditating, right? You're not, well, but it's not coming from you. You're being handed. You. Exactly. Right. So when you're playing an interactive video game on a computer, um, some stuff is coming from you, but the storyline's not right. Like you're right. But, but emergent play is when you do something other than what the designers intended. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when, you know, you've really made a cool thing is when it can have a life of its own. I've seen ideas like this depicted in science fiction where the game actually with grace on, on this podcast, we talked about memories of Alhambra, which is a game that's in the, in the, the uh, show it's a game that happens in ar so people are wearing these glasses and it seems to be somewhat ai procedurally generated driven by the interaction between the user and the the technology so there are kind of basic tenets of what will happen throughout the story so it's not completely from within i guess but it's much more open and responsive to the user than than what we think of as video games today. And so maybe AI is the, is the solution. Yeah, I've been thinking about simulation theory a little bit recently, and I think it's hard not to, not to imagine the world as this type of simulation, right? Like, or, or at least the enjoyment of these types of simulation being better than the real world, because it's like, it's like the real world. Most of it is off rails, but it's safer and maybe more fulfilling. Right, 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 right. And maybe maybe being able to close your eyes, in fact, not just able, being cued to close your eyes, reminded to close your eyes and check in for a while. And then what you emerge back into, maybe there's some way that that's determined through thoughts or, or maybe, maybe it's... Yeah. I just love the flexibility. So I'm going to do you one more example since I've just done two meditations today, even though it's nine in the morning. Please, yeah. So the second one was guided. It's it's a meditation class I've taken for nine years every week. And this is guided by one of the uh, people who is really expert in this. And it's, it's a class about how to teach meditation, but you do it by, by experiencing it. And so we did um, a lot of focus on breathing into the chest and noticing if there were any areas of tightness or tension. And then we started bringing in light from the dawn the beginning of sunrise. And we brought that light into any part that was tense. And, you know, I've been having this, using a computer and sitting at a desk for um, decades and decades. So I have this, you know, go-to spot. It's like, yeah, yeah, of course there's tightness or tension. It's from where I'm holding the mouse and all this kind of stuff. So like, oh, this is kind of boring, but yeah, 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 bring it into that. Like, okay. But so, so he was saying light from the sun that's just rising. But for me, it was when I've taught meditations about sunrise, I've looked at dawn and dawn is just amazing, right? It goes from dark to light and it's light all over before the sun peaks up. So I was bringing in dawn light, not just the little sun. I brought it in and, and yeah, it felt better. And then he said, ask that spot what it has to tell you. And I confess, I said, oh boy, that's, that's dumb. This isn't going to tell me anything. It's going to tell me not to hold my mouse that way. And then what showed up is not just that I'm sitting in an awkward position using my mouse, but that I have been boxed in for so long by academic writing that it's been restricting me as I'm trying to write my book now about meditation and play and stuff. And it, the dawn came in and let me realize I need to hold in a different position and I can be freer than that. It's like, wow, that actually worked the way he intended. 
but that's only what happened for me and everybody else was completely different. So, so the emergence, the freedom that what shows up for me and where did it come from the dawn? Why did this happen? So, so how do we bring this kind of magic? Yeah, I see out? what you're saying. I see what you're saying. So, oh, and also my, I'm not in pain anymore right now for a little while. Oh, that's good. So the dawn helped that too. Hey, wow. The meditation. Wow. Yeah, I guess it takes, so you're following expert advice. So how do we integrate that kind of like expert game master type meditation guidance into these virtual experiences? Yeah, you know, you're actually sort of helping me see that my role might right now may be to be a provocateur to say, you know, this is so cool. How do we make VR as somewhat as cool as meditation is? right? Because most people don't think of meditation as fun or exciting or imaginative. But because I'm a game designer and a user experience designer, and I've read tons of neuroscience, I see it all. And, and a VR designer, right? Is, is sure. I, I see it differently, I think. Do you remember the movie Existence? Yeah, um, remind me more of it. David it Cronenberg. Scary, it? It's, a little, it's a little scary. It's about a bunch of people who come together in the physical world and they try out this new virtual reality technology and it sends them into this mutual virtual world and it says the story will kind of emerge based on what you bring to the game they call it a game um, but really it's it's like a vr simulation online type game and and so it, it responds like they're like oh i'm sensing you know the story has taken a turn in this direction i'm sensing some of you must have some negative emotions or you know the, the software yeah. must be responding to your kind of pain or discomfort and then yeah. that makes me think about how we have, we get so much data out of these things and and only it will only increase right so all the tracking data can reflect the kind of the tenseness of your body you know our our body movements are more unique than a fingerprint and then you add eye tracking to that and your heart rate and your skin conductance and eventually probably EEG so you get a few different types of brain waves and then maybe it becomes localized you get uh, other aspects of brain activity so maybe all of those things though it, it might be hard to explain it in in human language, but in machine language, we can kind of learn how those signals reflect certain dispositions or how certain storylines might be complementary to some of these physiological signals. And you use that to train the AI to respond to individuals with the most appropriate kind of prompt, right? Like this person is really tense I, and I'm, this is just a way a massive oversimplification, but like this person is tense, their pupils are dilated and their heart rate is low. That means we should give them a sunrise or we should tell them to ask the sunrise what it could tell them. But this other person is like very fluid and um, their heart rate is high. Like maybe we throw them in space with some alien monsters. <laughs> or, I mean, depends on whether you're trying to meditate them or just entertain them, but maybe that's the solution yeah um i think i think some of that i mean they have they have the um, brainwave sensing headbands yeah which obviously can be easily integrated into the um oculus so when you're in the beta uh brainwave mode your mind is active and it's like you're when you're engaged with the world and when you're in the alpha you're much more calm and relaxed there's also the default neural network, default node, which is mind wandering. Meditation is moving away from mind wandering. You talk about monkey mind, you talk about self-ruminative thought. There's sort of different brain patterns 
for whether how much you're, you're focused your attention, which is what you want to do in meditation or perhaps in other kinds of tasks. Doris Roche did a zombie yoga game, but see when people game it, um, as well as the people who make the headsets, it's like, oh, now do this so that you can earn a prize, right? So you have to get calm when it's scary. And that's fine, but that's taking what can be a different kind of experience than just fitting it into the limit of, oh, let's make it into a game and kill zombies. It's like, ah. Also, though, why not think about building ways to cue people to talk a little bit? You know, say, what are you, what are you seeing? You know, what's the dawn? What's, what's happening for you is too, is too broad. But in the very beautiful thing meditation, describe your beautiful thing. It'll pull you out of the meditation briefly, but if it can be just subtle so that we actually can use language rather than just guessing, which makes it even more interactive, right? It's like the system that's providing your experience, you're talking with it. It's conversational. We don't usually talk during meditation because there's like not anybody to talk to, but that doesn't mean that can't be changed, right? Yeah, so I feel like speaking of Dawn, we are right here at the beginning of the kind of integration of these virtual reality technologies into many aspects of our lives that we might not have expected. Meditation is perhaps one of the most ironic um, areas of application, um, but meditation might change, right? We, we could integrate other modes of interaction and speaking, and we could make games themselves more meditative and maybe less gamey, and then more fulfilling or rejuvenating, but there's, there's so much more to explore and discover in these technologies. Like it's, we were speculating a lot here about things that could never happen or won't happen for a long time. I guess it's back to the, the next big thing theme that you, that you've come to over and over again. Well, what, what yeah. would, what would you recommend for anyone who wants to get into kind of the cutting edge of meditation today in a way that is augmented by technology, though, of course, not replaced or doing it, trying it. Where could they find your meditation work? Well, I have a website called yogamindtools.com. Okay. And, uh, um, and what, what will they find there at yogamindtools.com? Okay. So um, you're so, so the med- No, not the research. That's boring. The meditation and science blog. Ah, got it. Research is not boring, though. Look at all these papers that Carrie and colleagues have published on meditation and VR. So a science-based approach, media technology, and other kind of science-related tools. But, oh, Yoka Mind Science Blog with pretty pictures. Diagrams, like what? how does imagination work? What's the process of perception? I mean, it's really all about being human and how we operate our system. Mm-hmm. Um, from day to day and moment to moment, including in VR. And it's about how imagination works. It's a, it's a game of attention, lots, lots of stuff like that. Oh my gosh, we should have started with this. <laughs> now someone has to listen all the way through to the, the end of this episode to, to get the link to your stuff. But of course, we'll put the link in the, the notes here. But this is great, Carrie. It seems like you're really providing resources for the community and it's research-based and cutting edge. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. More, more on the way. Um, and I also run meditation circles. I'm, I've taken, taking a month off to work on writing, but people, if, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you, you'll, you'll know when those are coming. And um, as, as you know, I'm retiring in May and that's to spend all of my time doing this stuff. So I hope 
to touch back into VR and into the metaverse as I have more time to play and work on and do that. So, so if you're interested, why don't you contact me and we can talk about it, speaking to the audience for a moment. Of course. Yes, I hope they are. I hope they do. And yeah, thank you, Carrie. Thank you for this wonderful conversation. All of our conversations are so wonderful. You know, the, the thing about presence uh, in our field, Carrie, you were one of the first scholars to write about the idea of presence in virtual reality. And in our field, presence is really referred to feeling like you're there or uh, that the mediated experience is non-mediated or real or that you are kind of experiencing these objects in a way that are, that are very meaningful. In meditation, presence really just means awareness and attention, right? No, it actually um, corresponds quite nicely with the neuroscientific perspective on presence, which is being in the present moment. In the presence. Being aware and connected, um, embodied. So to me, that's similar to awareness and, and attention or, or embodiment, I guess. Yeah. Well, attention can be anywhere. Attention can be uh, uh, on what your mind is doing. Uh, sure. can, you can be paying attention to what you're going to be doing or, or you can be planning the next um, podcast that you're going to interview. Got it. Um, got and it. embodiment is a present moment because the body and breath bring us into now. It, it's connecting. It's a mind-body connection. Okay. Uh, so, integration. Yeah. So that, that's, that's a great way to put it. Awareness and attention to the present moment and to your embodied experience in that moment. Yep. Okay. Well, through all of our conversation, <laughs> this was like a, a little bit of a, a, a segue or, or, and, and a tangent um, to just say thank you for always being so present in our conversations, Carrie. It is, uh, it is super consistent with your, your whole persona that whenever we talk, I feel like you're really there with me. You're not multitasking. You're not imagining uh, the next meeting, uh, though you often have, have to get to them at some point. Um, and so- As yeah, do you in this case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Knowing of... you is a gift, Robbie, a present. Oh, and, and a present <laughs> for me as well, Carrie. Thank you so much for being on SpartyCast. Thank you for listening to this episode of SpartyCast with Dr. Carrie Heater. As you can tell, we've got a great bond. Um, I really look up to her as a mentor and have appreciated her throughout my career. Her work is not only very unique and cutting edge, um, but it's also very thoughtful. It embodies that notion of being present, right? She's very present in, in whatever she's focusing on. And she's one of the people who I learned to say no from right? Like in my field, I'm sure many of you have the same issue in any field, right? People are always asking you to do stuff. Can you add this project? Can you help me on this thing? Can I ask you to read this thing? And Carrie, because she prioritizes the here and now, knows exactly how to take on or not take on certain responsibilities and commitments. And so I'm very grateful that you took the time to join us for this episode today. And I'm also grateful to my team at SpartyCast here. This is the last one we're recording in the year 2021. Oh my gosh, we did 36 episodes, or a couple bonus episodes, so 35, 34 episodes this year. This year, the SpartyCast came together in just one year and, um, and we got halfway to 70. Uh, we got one tenth of the way to 350. So in 10 years, maybe we'll have one per day or so. Sounds unlikely. We are shifting over toward 
TikTok a little bit more in 2022, but we'll, we'll keep these coming at you. Thank you so much to our production team. A fond farewell and much, much appreciation to Taylor Halterman, our amazing producer on the podcast for the last however long it's been. Um, and thank you to Kyle Takte and Mia Burkhart also for uh, assisting in producing this podcast. And thank you for listening. You listened. Maybe you listened to more than one episode in 2021. If not, there are more than one episode. You can go back and check those out, but we will continue making them in 2022. So I look forward to seeing your, uh, your imprint there. Goodbye, world.